Golly, there are tall people in this church. Um, wanna uh, as we uh, as we pray, I I, I want you to to um, to take a moment to really talk to God. I mean, it's easy to listen to me talk, and it's easy to to kind of kind of ride along. But like as I we're gonna pray before we start here, and I want you to just take a moment to talk to God and 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 ask Him to to um, help you to be in His presence, help you to hear from Him, help you to walk with Him. Um, I, uh, I let's let's pray, Heavenly Father. I pray that you'd be with us this morning, and that, that this would be a time that we draw into your into your um, throne room, into your presence, that we would draw close to you, Lord. I pray that you would touch our hearts and our minds and fill us with your with your Spirit, Lord. That we would um, be here as an act of worship, as we would be here to be close to you. That we would learn to to know you better. That you would challenge us to be. Um, in your presence. And in all of that, Lord, I, I pray that you would help us to trust that you're in control, Lord. I, I struggle so much when I preach and when I teach and when I do everything, that I do everything right, Lord. But I know your Holy Spirit is here and I know your Holy Spirit is, is in your words. And I know that um, I know that these folks are your children and they, they belong to you, Lord. And so as I share the word, I pray that you be with them and, and um, love them and help me to trust that you're in charge. Um, and that that it's all going to go according to your will in Christ's name, Amen. We are working on the gospel according to Jesus right now, and uh, kind of a little background before we dive in here. I got a story I'm going to do, um, but I uh, I wanted to kind of explain what we're doing before I did that. Um, we are the gospel according to Jesus. It sounds kind of a silly thing because you think, well, the gospel is the gospel. Like if you've been in the church long enough, you know that, you know, there's one gospel. It's not like Jesus had a version and John had a version, Paul had a version. But like there's this, this way the church has gone funny over the years where we have altered, um, to a degree what the gospel is. And, and not intentionally. I think it's been done with the best of intent. Um, but but it shifted very slowly over time. And so we're going to be talking for the last couple of weeks and then for the weeks coming, we're going to talk about what Jesus had to say. And and what this, um, so far what we've talked about, uh, the first week, if you want to go back and listen to it online, all the sermons are online. I think the website's in the bulletin. Um, if you go back, you can listen to the first one and we talk about the idea that, you know, you are saved by faith through, or by grace through faith, right? Like, the thing that saves you, and if you are a person who is not in that place, like, understand this. God saves you from your sin. You cannot save yourself. You cannot earn God's love. You cannot work hard enough to go to heaven. You cannot, 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 um, do it yourself. The only way we're saved is by the grace of, of Christ for us. Like, that is it. Like, Jesus took punishment for our sins. He died for us. That's what saves us. We have faith in that. But here's where it gets tricky. Over the years, like, in, 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 there was a period of time where there was all kinds of crazy corruption, and they made it where you had to work to earn your way to heaven or pay money to the church, like, to earn your way to heaven or what have you. And, and the movement away from that has gone so far that, that sometimes you find where people will say, all you have to do is have faith. You don't have to follow Jesus. And that's not really the gospel Jesus preached. Jesus preached that you were saved by his blood. Jesus preached, you know, that, that faith was it, that God's grace was it. But Jesus was very clear. He had some really strict demands. Like he had some serious callings on our life. 
Um, and so, like, we're, we're talking about what that is. So the first week we did that. The second week we talked about repentance, which means to, like, realize your imperfection, realize you're falling short of God's standards, to turn around and go the other way, which is what the Old Testament word repent means, like turn around and go the other way. And so we're kind of moving forward with this. But as we go forward, I want to be very, very clear. Um, you, you can't earn your way to heaven. Got it? Like the core of the gospel, you cannot get away from it. We are saved by God's grace, God's gift of salvation to us, and are having faith in that, in that promise and having faith in the blood of Christ. Like that is it. So as we dive in, um, I got a story, actually. My parents are here, so I have to probably pick on them. But it's a sign of love. Like it's, we, everybody in this church knows if I'm, if I'm picking on you, I love you. Whenever my parents visit, they, uh, they tell stories. Anybody else have this with your parents? And you, you hear, you hear, and everybody else gets to hear, you know, about your, your awkward years. And that's, it's, it's, it's a blessing, actually. Um, um, I, I, my brother always teases me whenever I go um, visit the large family, like the larger extended family. He'll, he'll bring up Christmas. And the, the Christmas, I almost set the lady's hair on fire during the candlelight service. And he brings it up because my mom tells that story every year. <laughs> um, and I, I, I don't remember it, so I have no way to confirm or deny the truthfulness of it. Um, I've hidden all my high school yearbooks. I've, I've dissociated from most of my friends from back, like, in the years past. And so, like, like they are the authority on this subject, and, and I can't hide from it forever. So um, at dinner this week, my dad, uh, I can't remember if it was dad or mom, one of them was talking about um, restaurants when we would go out to eat as a family. And, um, and I would act up, and I know it's shocking that I was not a little angel, uh, but apparently, and I don't remember this, <laughs> apparently sometimes I was, I was ill-behaved when we would go out to eat. And, and my father would take me out of the restaurant. Anybody have this? Is this a familiar story for anyone? And this is weird, because I remember mom taking me out of the restaurant, but I remember it usually involved, like, you know, a coming-to-Jesus moment. Um... <laughs> But, but when I was young, my dad would take me out of the restaurant, he would sit down, he would talk to me, and I would behave when I came back in. It's the weirdest thing, right? And I, I've been thinking about that for a few days because I didn't remember that. And, and I, I thought, well, you know, why don't I remember that? I was probably like five, and so it's, you know, like 25 years ago. Uh, <laughs> I know, 22. I'll stop, <laughs> stop making myself sound older than I am. Uh, <laughs> But I, I don't remember it. But you know what? It doesn't surprise me because I, the, the, the clearest memories I have as a kid, I, I remember my dad telling me these things like, this is how a man acts, or this is how you're supposed to behave, or this is what's important, or this is you know, what it means to, to do the right thing, or this is why it's important to treat people this way. I remember these things, and I remember as a kid, and actually still like throughout my life, like my dad would say something, and I wanted to do what he said. And I would watch him, and I wanted to be like him. I wanted to do the things he did. Is there any other guys in the room, by the way, that can relate to this? You know, every, every young man idolizes his dad and wants to be like his dad and wants to, you know, wants to be told, I'm proud of you, and everything else. I mean, like, this is like this, this thing. And, and I, I've been thinking about it, and I, I realize this is sort of the essence of what it means to follow someone, right? Like, like we're going to talk about the aspect of um, Christ's gospel where he says, follow me. And, and what it boils down to is this reality that um, because I want to be like, because I want to be close to, 
because I want to do the will of, I will follow your teachings and I will be close to you and I will do these things. And it, it, it's, it's all rooted in love, right? I love my dad and that's why I do that, why I did that. I love my dad, that's why I follow him. I, my, my kids are the same way, little things, you know, I'll tell them and they remember. And they remember because they love me and because they want to be like me. Unfortunately, I can't fix that. Um, <laughs> um, but, but it's a following. And so, like, as we look at Jesus' preachings, one of the things that is a universal is he would tell people, follow me, right? And, and there's this attitude sometimes. We want to separate the gospel from that. But the reality is, like, following Jesus is what we're, what we're about. It's what it's about. Um, we're going to jump into Matthew. Um, I got a bunch of texts today. I'm going to do my best to, to move quick and to kind of hit everything. Um, but this is from Matthew 4. This is the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. He says, While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in a boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them, and immediately they left their boats and their father, and they followed him. Now, I I picked this out as an example of something we see over and over again in the scriptures. Jesus was, was straight up. He would say, you know, follow me. You know, what do I do? Follow me. What do I do? Follow me. And this is not a little thing. Like, this is a recurring, every time kind of deal. Follow me, follow me, follow me. Now, we live in a culture where that's, you know, that's, that's lost its meaning to a degree. Follow me in our culture. I mean, who do you follow? Well, I follow people on Facebook, right? Follow people on Twitter. I, my kids follow me around like, you know, like lost puppies sometimes. But like that's in this culture, what would happen is if you were a rabbi and rabbis, man, you went to school your whole life to become a rabbi. These guys were revered on a whole other level. Right. I mean, they were they were people who could recite the entirety of the scriptures from memory. Right. Like that's what school was to become a rabbi. And then beyond that, they could recite what's called the Talmud. The Talmud is like, I have a, uh, don't have a paper copy because I don't want to spend that much money and I have room for it. Um, but the, the Babylonian Talmud is like 30 volumes. And these guys could rattle it off from memory, right? I mean, these guys were really educated. And what you would do if you wanted to become a rabbi yourself is you would go through all your schooling, you would hit a point, and you would like find a rabbi, and you would approach him, and you would ask for permission to follow him. And that's like how it would work. If you wanted to become a great man of God, in this era, you had to ask a rabbi for permission to follow him, and then the rabbi had to give you permission. Um, there is nowhere in ancient literature, nowhere in the Old Testament, nowhere in the rabbinical literature, nowhere in the you know, intertestamental books, nothing, where we see a rabbi approaching people and saying, follow me, right? The closest we get is actually in the book of um, Kings, with Elijah and Elijah, but, like, Elijah doesn't tell Elijah to follow him. He gives him, like, this power, and, and Elijah follows in his way, is what we're told, but nothing else. And so the fact that Jesus approached these men, they're fishermen, meaning they went through school to a first imp- certain point, and someone along the way said, hey, you know what? 
you don't have what it takes. You know, go be a fisherman. And so they left study and they became fishermen, right? And and that's, you know, the world needs fishermen more than they need Bible teachers sometimes. I'll tell you because, I you know, I don't like fish that much, but eating is nice. Can I get an amen? <laughs> um, so like, like, for Jesus to approach these fishermen and say, follow me. They know he's a rabbi. We know they had had some encounters with him. We know that they had been around him. There's actually a little more to the story that Matthew doesn't include. But like Jesus says, follow me. And they jumped up and went because this is a chance of a lifetime, isn't it? This guy is a teacher and he's a teacher on a whole other level. Nobody is doing what this guy is doing. And he called them to follow him. But here's the trick. They had to actually do it, right? You know, we don't see them drop to their knees, say a prayer, and they're done. They got up and they followed him. And by the way, there's this whole other component to this. Rabbis, when they taught, they would walk and talk, right? And everybody would follow behind them and listen, and that's how they would learn, right? And it it was, you know, for ages and ages, rabbis would walk and you would follow, and that's how you would learn. Um, And there's actually, man, it just jumps into my head, and I'm going to say it right now, and I'm hopefully it's... Not too big of a rabbit trail, but I'll apologize in advance. I don't know where this sermon's going. Um, I wrote it. We'll see what happens. Um, Frances said something to me this morning. I was talking to her about her her life. Can I do this, Frances? Can I pick on you? Can you hear me? Um, (laughs) She was saying to me, you find more like in the valley than you do at the mountaintop. Like in the process of living life and following God and experiencing difficulty and walking through the valley, right? And as I was praying this morning, the valley of the shadow of death kept jumping into my head as I was praying. I was, uh, Psalm 23, where like God has, the shepherd has literally led his sheep through the valley of the shadow of death. Francis said, you know, you find more in the valley than you do at the mountaintop. And the reality is following God, living your life, following his teachings, walking with Jesus every day is where you learn to be like Jesus, is where you learn the best lessons for being like Jesus. But, like, you still got to follow him, right? You still got to go with him. Um, th- there's not an option here. Like, this is what God calls us to do. Um, we see this following theme. We're going to jump over to Luke, and we have, like, a bunch of these little, like, stories here. And we're going to go through them um, and talk about them bit by bit. Um, Jesus is going along the road. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. And it's weird because for the longest time, I thought what he was saying was, um, you have to give up everything you have and you have to walk after me and be homeless and do all of this stuff. By the way, Jesus had a house. There's a reference to it in one of the Gospels. We never, like, think about that. He left it at some point and stopped going back there. But Jesus did have a house at some point, right? So Jesus is, like, saying, he's, listen, foxes have holes, birds birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. What he's saying is, he's telling these folks, listen, people are going to kick you to the curb for this. Like, you're going to choose to follow me, and it is going to be a huge, huge life commitment. But there's a chance people are going to push you away, and you're going to have nowhere to go because of it. Like, you are, you are not signing up for an easy life by following me. Jesus, I mean, like, there are people who preach, and they'll tell you, if you follow Jesus, it's like finding the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. And in a way, it is, but it's not going to necessarily make your life easy. You understand? 
Like, there's a very real way where there might be hardship attached to it because people might not, like, accept you. People might call you names. People might reject you. You know, we're very fortunate in our time and place, but there was a time and era where people were killed for this, right? Um, In fact, right now, all over the world, there are people who are kidnapped and dragged away and forced to convert. You know, I mean, this is not, like, Jesus' calling was huge. Um, It was not something to be taken lightly. To another... He said, follow me. So he invites another guy to follow him. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the the dead bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Now watch this. In the Jewish culture, um, dealing with your parents like burial, burial specifically, was of the highest order. That was, it was an obligation that you could only pass over if you were a priest in service, right? So you are a priest and like you cannot be involved in the burial because it would make you unclean or it would draw you away from the temple. Or if you were a Levite, or not a Levite, a uh, Nazarite. And the Nazarites were people who took a special vow for a short period of time. And if your parents died during that time, you couldn't go bury them, right? Like for the Jewish people, um, this was a big deal. In fact, actually, there's a book. Um, it's not a part of the Bible. It's in a Jewish book like that talks about different things, but we don't consider it scripture. But I'm using it as an example here. This is Tobit, right? And it's an example, mind you, right? But like, like how the Jewish people viewed this, um, Tobit says to his son on his deathbed, his last thing he says, my son, when I die, bury me and do not neglect your mother. So like for Tobit, The most important thing as he's dying isn't, hey, live a good life. Hey, do this. Hey, do that. It is bury me and your mother. Don't leave us. Um, Because for the Jewish people, like burial and all of this stuff was a big deal. They believed in bodily resurrection. And so like the burial and the appropriate customs and all that, big deal, right? And so like like for this man comes to Jesus, he says, hey, let me bury my father. And Jesus says, nope, follow me. Let the dead bury their own dead. And this is a play on words. It's let the spiritually dead bury the physically dead. And is he saying, no, we should neglect our parents completely? No. What's coming out here is, we don't know if the father's alive or already dead. We don't know anything about that. The basic message here is, listen, there's hardship happening first. Like, following Jesus is going to be hard. And secondly, following Jesus is a first priority. Like, you don't get to say, God, you get to be, you know, I will follow you, but you're third on the list after work and, you know, me having fun and, you know, and then, then Jesus, you know, you get to be on the list. Jesus' demand to follow me is a primary job. It is actually a job, in fact. I talk to folks um, often, some of you all have heard me say this, um, it is your job, right? I have no trouble getting up and going to work in the morning. Never had trouble getting up and going to work in the morning, right? Because I, I got to go to work. Like, there are other things that are my job that sometimes we struggle with. For years, it took me years to figure out how to be a good husband. And I didn't get good at it until I figured out it was my job to be a good husband. And so that was first. But actually, it's second. First is follow Jesus. This is number one. This is our job. This is our call. And Jesus didn't make it easy. He didn't put this out in a light way. He was saying, even the most important things in your life are subordinate to this. Now, how does that play out? Honestly, I love my wife and I'm a better husband because I follow Jesus, right? I do my job better because I follow Jesus. I happen to be a minister. (laughs) But the reality is that if you follow Jesus as a part of your employment, as a part of your personal relationships, as a part of all of these other things, um, God directs us to righteousness. He directs us to better living. He makes us better in that process. 
Um, last thing that said, um, I will follow, yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now, what he's saying here is, right, um, it's another kind of unprecedented statement. He's not saying don't say goodbye to your family. He's saying um, if you find yourself in a place where you're weighing two things and you're not sure, you're like, oh, I want this so bad, but I want to follow Jesus, but I want this so bad, but I want to follow Jesus, but I want this so bad. Like, like if you're weighing both of them, you're in trouble. Your priorities are screwed up. Um, I, I, uh, I, I remember a time in my life where I had to decide between um, following Jesus and things like alcohol, right? I had to make that choice. Not that alcohol is sinful. It is for me. Um, and I had to make that decision. And I really struggle with that. I, don't, I really want to follow Jesus. I want to be right with Jesus. But, man, I love this, right? And there are all sorts of things that we fall in love with that Jesus gets to sit in back seat while we love these things, right? God, I'll follow you, just not here. And the reality is that following Jesus is number one. It's over our comfort. It's over our preferences. It's over our ease. It's over our everything. Following Jesus is the most important thing. If we do it right, everything else comes into line. I use that example because our second point is what is involved, right? Um, What what does it mean to follow Jesus? We're going to get into this more in depth next week, right? But as a starting point... Like following Jesus, John fourteen fifteen. This is actually a statement directed toward the entire church. Um, but Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. If you love me, you'll listen to what I have to say and you'll do it. Right? You'll learn my teachings and you'll apply them. These will be a part of your life. Um, loving Jesus means like knowing what he taught and doing it. Mind you, some of this stuff, like it's not as though Jesus said you have to be homeless. It's not as though Jesus said you have to like beat up infidels. It's not like... He says, pray for people who persecute you. If you have an enemy, love your enemy, right? Um, he says, if you are married, you need to treat your wife like with a certain degree of respect. That's in Sermon on the Mount where he says, you can't just kick your wife away because, you know, if you find yourself looking at women lustfully, you need to cut that out because if you're filling yourself up with lust, like your heart isn't in the right place, right? Um, the bottom line of what he's talking about here is this idea that um, our heart and our lives and our everything comes into alignment with Christ. Um, it is a sign that it's true, right? I have in my garden, and I'm saying this to a room full of farmers with a great deal of humility, we have a garden, and my garden has yielded none of the stuff I wanted to grow, right? I, I planted about 700, my wife and I, I was a part of planting some of them, like 700 hot pepper seeds. It looks like I'm going to get three peppers. The stuff that my wife dealt with went great, by the way. Um, I am not a farmer. Um, the reality is that the quality of my farming comes out in my lack of peppers. Everybody with me? I blame the dog. I think he was sleeping in my bed. Um, there's a pun there. Uh, <laughs> but the... Uh, the fact of the matter is, I, I'm not getting any peppers out of my garden, right? Because it ain't alive. My pepper plants did not live. They did not grow. They did not become something else. Loving Jesus, right? Loving Jesus is a sign that we're following him. 
Loving Jesus is a sign that we're in relationship with him. Loving Jesus is a sign that we're living this out. Um, keeping his commandments is a product of loving Jesus. Got it? Like we keep commandments. And I'm going to come back around to my introduction here. My dad, you know, and I don't remember, it was a long time ago, my dad would pull me out and say, this is how you need to behave, and I would do it. Because I love my dad, Right? Growing up, there are a lot of things my dad told me about, I'm assuming, is I don't remember the story, but I know myself well enough. Um, there are a lot of things over the years that I've done because I, I think, well, this is how my father would do it, right? And, and I love my dad. We love Jesus, and so we obey him. We love Jesus, so we follow him. We love Jesus, so we live a certain life. Not so we can avoid hell, not so we can avoid punishment, not so I can be better than the other guy, so when God shows up, he sees the other guy being a jerk and me being the bare minimum of good. We do it because we love Christ. First um, John, by this we know that we, love, or that we love the children of God. When we, I'm sorry, let me, I'm stumbling over my words now, I'm getting old. By this we know that we love the children of God. When we love God and obey his commandments, for this is the love of God and or that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. What's he talking about? He's saying, listen, um, we keep his commandments because we love him. We love our neighbors. We love the people around us. Like, And this is a sign that we love God. Like, We are a part of this. Like, This obedience is a part of it. But it begins with this decision that this is how I'm going to live. I am not a decisionalist. I am not a guy who believes that once you make a decision... You are saved. But the reality is that there is a point in time, even if it drifts in on you or you have a moment of significant prayer or whatever, like, like where you make, you know, you say, this is how I'm going to live or it ain't. Right? This is what I'm going to do or it isn't. I, I diet all the time because um, I can't ever seem to lose weight. And it has a lot to do with the fact that I try to stand on both sides of the fence. Can anybody relate to this? I'm going to lose weight, but I'm only going to exercise twice a week and I'm going to eat a lot of cake. <laughs> hey, want to guess how well that goes for me? <laughs> the reality is that we decide to follow Jesus or we don't. If I had told my wife, I'm in halfway, I'll be married to you, but only part of the time because I'm also going to date, that would not be an acceptable answer. You don't live a relationship that way, do you? Like you are in whole hog or you're not. And Jesus, like, he calls us to follow him and, like, deciding, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to do the things that are a part of loving you. I'm going to obey your commandments, but it's not burdensome. I'm doing them because I love you. This is how it works. This is what's involved. Um, I'm going to kind of step it up here. I'm kind of going a little long, which I'm not apologizing for. Matthew. Oh, so loving Jesus. Like, what it all boils down to, following Jesus means loving him. Like in, and love is more than just feeling, right? I think feeling is a part of love, but I, I'll tell you what, raising kids has taught me that I can love my kids without liking them. I'm sorry, some of you think I'm horrible, and some of you parents are in the room are like, yeah, I know. Because <laughs> nobody feels warm and fuzzy toward the baby at three in the morning on the ninth night in a row, right? But you do it because you love them. The feeling is there, but the feeling ain't everything. A huge chunk of love is commitment and being devout and everything. I mean, like, it is a, a bigger thing. And so loving Jesus, like, is what we're called to do. Feeling is a part of it, but feeling isn't all of it. And we're a culture that is so touchy-feely and so emotional and so this and so that that we lose sight that, like, like love is sometimes a lot more than just what I feel. Love is how I live. 
Love is how I walk with God. Love is how I walk with my wife. Love is how I care for my children, whether I feel like it or not in the moment. Feelings tend to follow, but like at the heart of it, when it's hard, um, love is about obedience. Love is about being close. Love is about following. And so as we follow Jesus, Matthew 19, 16 to 22, and I'm kicking myself for using this. I went back and forth about it, but here we are. And behold... A man came up to him saying, Teacher, what good deeds must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good. Um, If you would enter eternal life, keep the commandments. And he said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your mother and father. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. By the way, did anybody catch which commandments he jumped over? The first ones, right? Which basically you boil them all down there, love God more than anything else. So he says, oh, you've kept the commandments, which ones? And Jesus knew which commandments the guy was following. He was following the other ones. Um, So he comes around and he says, the young man said to him, all these I have kept, what do I still lack? And Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. When the, son of man, when the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. The crazy thing is we don't know what he did. Right? We don't know what he did. He walked away in the moment. We don't know what he did in the long run. Um, I, I, the implication of this is, listen, guy, you've obeyed the commandments about loving your neighbors yourself. Now you need to love God more than anything. And Jesus knew the guy's heart, right? He knew he loved his possessions. And he said, no, if something's in the way, step over it and follow me. This is not a small thing. You have to, I mean, following Jesus means Jesus is in charge. It means Jesus is number one, not our convenience, not our comfort, not our anything. It means loving Jesus above all else. Um, And it is a hard, hard, hard thing. Now, I'm going to caution you here because we have this habit. And I read uh, Mark Twain's autobiography, and Mark Twain is like this sharp jerk guy. You know, he writes things that are mean sometimes. And he wrote about uh, Rockefeller Jr. Was it John Rockefeller? Would have been during his time. Anyway, who taught a Sunday school class, and his Sunday school teachings were printed in the newspaper nationally every, every week. And, and um, John Rockef- or Rockefeller Jr. taught on this, and, and he said, well... This is really about loving your possessions more than you love God, so it doesn't apply to me because I love God more than I love my enormous wealth. And he's like, man, that's convenient, isn't it? Like, like he later in the, uh, in the article, he says, you know what? Um, they asked me to come and teach, but I can't because they're so used to telling the truth a certain way that if I told them the truth in an unvarnished way, it would hurt their feelings. Like, the reality is that the Rockefellers... I don't know them personally, but but Mark Twain was very critical of the fact that they were kind of hard on other people and they weren't very honest and that they, you know, like didn't treat their employees that well and they were part of the trusts and everything else. I mean, all this bad stuff. And he's saying, listen, you cannot, and, and Twain is right, but he's saying the same thing Jesus is saying, you cannot, you cannot love stuff more than you love Jesus. You can't. And if you do, you got to get rid of it. Does it mean you have to be homeless? I don't know. I don't know. I think God deals with us everybody in a different way, but I don't think we can lie to God. Um, actually, it's a line from, well, I'll come back around to it. And so, like, like as I come into this application idea, um, folks, look at your hearts, look at your life, and ask yourself, what do I love more than I love God? 
doesn't mean you have to neglect your wife and kids. doesn't mean you have to quit your job. doesn't mean you have to, you know, whatever, stop watching Monday Night Football. It doesn't mean that, like, but what sits higher on that plane than Jesus? Because when Jesus said, follow me, he wasn't saying, follow me when you have time. He wasn't saying, follow me when you have the opportunity. He wasn't saying, he was saying, follow me, take this seriously, do it. Love God, love me, this is it. Um, I have another element of this, just like like Revelation. This is um, Jesus is talking to John, and he's giving messages to to the various churches around the world. This is many years after all the disciples are dead, and John's the last one, and he has a vision. And Jesus says about a particular church, he says, "But I have this against you that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, where you have fallen from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at last at first. If not, I will come to you and remove the lampstand from its place unless you repent. Now watch this. Jesus is talking about this church. He says, hey, you know what? You guys were in love at first and you quit. Right? You were in love at first and you quit. And he's saying to him, he's saying, listen, remember where you came from. You got four things here, right? Remember where you came from. Let me make sure I got my notes right so I don't miss one. Um, well, first repent. Realize you're wrong. Turn around and go the other way. Remember where you came from. Go back to it, right? So it's repent, remember, return. And then the warning is or be removed. And it's so easy to fall away from that. Like to do following Jesus as a routine, isn't it? I show up every Sunday. I, you know, do the basics and I'm saved. But like what Jesus is calling us to is a love for him and a love for God. It is our number one like, like, this is what it means to follow Jesus. It means to love him and to follow him. Um, I don't think it's something to be taken lightly. Um, it's something that Paul talks about working out our salvation with fear and trembling, right? Um, and I think he said that. I think he talked about it because, because you need to take it seriously. Like, Jesus is saying, love me, follow me, love your neighbor as yourself, but that's a part of loving me. You know, you love your family, but you love your family as a part of loving God. Like, you love your work and you do your job, but you do that as a part of loving God. Like, all of this stuff goes together. Um, Last verse, I I almost promise. Um, Galatians is Paul writing. Uh, Let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Uh, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. Uh, for the one who sows in his own flesh will stop, or will from the flesh reap corruption. Uh, but the one who sows from the spirit will be will from the spirit reap eternal life. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Um, so when you, excuse me, so then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are the, in the household of faith. So what Paul is telling us, watch this. He's saying, listen. There's a farming metaphor, room full of farmers, right? What you put in the ground is what's going to come out. I plant peas, I'm going to get peas. My wife planted squash, she got squash, she got squash. <laughs> I planted peppers, I got dirt. Um, but <laughs> this is beside the point. Um, we follow Jesus, we love Jesus, number one that pours on to every other part of our life. It's the trickle-down economics of the spiritual world. Thank you, Michael. Uh, (laughs) um, But it's a reality. That love we have for God, we sow that into our life and we get out of it or we don't, right? 
We chase our own desires, and our own desires will be gone one day. Just will, right? Someone will inherit your farm. Your stuff will be in a garage sale one day. It will, right? Like, your name will be forgotten one day. Like, what we sow, like, we need to sow in the love of Jesus. We need to sow in obedience to Christ. And, and literally, our response, follow me, right? Um, we're going to close with a song. I'm going to let you go. And actually, I have three minutes till we're over time. So, Brooke's going to take us over time. Um, <laughs> and he's moving slow, so he's making it worse. <laughs> um, my challenge for you this week 